I appreciate you letting me come back. It's good to see you all today. Um, I just can't believe what beautiful weather we're having. I got to go on a nice long walk yesterday, and I just felt like it was such a gift that we can see the mountains, and we live in such an amazing place as Helena, Montana. It truly is a gift. Well, today we're going to talk about a disciple, a disciple that is known by one decision and one statement that he made one time. So if I say Thomas, what label do you put with him? Doubting Thomas, right? Well, today, I want us to consider that in the words of Paul Harvey, that maybe there is more to the story. And I want to tell you the rest of the story about Thomas. Now, disciples were just normal people, okay? Sometimes we put these disciples up on these pedestals that, that they were, you know, all that. But really, they didn't come from the right family. They didn't have the right education. They didn't have the best of everything. Most of these guys, they're just normal guys. They were fishermen or tax collectors. Some of them even were, uh, went against the Roman government. They would be zealots. Just normal guys. But what made them famous is that they said yes to Jesus. That's why they're in the Bible, because they had the courage that when Jesus said, follow me, they said, okay, and they gave up their lives. They gave up their incomes. Some of them gave up their families to say, okay, Jesus, I am going to follow you. That is what made them famous. Now, let's get a little background on what it would have been like back in their day, okay? So for hundreds of years, the Jewish people had been waiting for the Messiah. And there were prophecies from many prophets for hundreds of years that said the Messiah is going to come and he's going to rescue you and he's going to destroy your oppressors and you're going to be free of all of that. So the Jewish people were waiting and they were expecting that their Messiah was going to come in and he was going to take out those who were oppressing them and those who were against them. So when Jesus came, a lot of people missed who Jesus was because Jesus came with gentleness. Jesus came say, saying that those who want to be first must be last. He came as a servant he came as one who wanted to give his life, not be sitting on a throne. So Jesus came and he said, I am the one, that I and the Father are one. And people didn't know what to do with it because so many Jewish people missed the things that the prophets had said. That Jesus was going to be a suffering servant. He was going to be the Passover lamb. He was going to be wounded for our transgressions. And they missed that part. And they were just waiting. So to be a disciple, to be one who said, I'm going to follow Jesus, would have been a risk. Would have been a huge risk. Because... Politics and religion were very intertwined back in these days. So to go against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, oh, that's a big risk. That's going against the flow, and you don't know what it could cost you. It would put you at odds 
with the religious leaders, and that would be a pretty scary place to be because they held a lot of power. But what we see is 12 men and many women and lots of other men who decided, yes, I'm going to follow. I'm going to believe that Jesus is who he said that he is. Now for us, I know for me, it's easy to distance myself and to say, well, that was back then. It would have been so much easier to follow Jesus back then. I don't think so. I don't think so. To have 600 years of waiting for the Messiah, and then this guy comes, and you're going to choose to follow this man who says he's the Messiah, and everyone's against you, and say, no way, let's condemn him. He's, he's just a liar. He's crazy. So to be one who said that, I think it's a lot like what we face in our culture even today. That it's hard sometimes to stand up for what we believe. To stand up and say, you know what? I am a follower of Jesus. My life is going to look a little bit different than someone else's, than the culture's. So choosing to be a follower, kind of like I talked about last week, right? Choosing to be a follower would have been a risk. Would have been something that was hard to do. Now, one of these disciples, like I said, was Thomas. Thomas is also known as Didymus, which means the twin. We don't know much else about him. We don't know his profession. We don't know his family background. But we know that when Jesus said, follow me, Thomas said, I will. Let's go. Now, in the book of John, there are three places where we see Thomas interacting with Jesus in a, in a real way, where he's more than just a name on a list of disciples, okay? So the first one is in John 20, but let me give you a little background to this. Now, Jesus had just been crucified. He was put in the tomb, and it was the day, it was the third day, and Mary Magdalene had gone to the tomb because she, she was devastated, so she went to the tomb, and there she found the stone rolled away, and there was nobody in there. So she ran to the other disciples, and she's like, the, the, the Lord's gone. What are we going to do? So two of the disciples took off running, and she followed, and they got to the tomb, and indeed, no one was there. So those two disciples, they ran back, and they're like, we have to tell everybody else, and Mary stayed and there Jesus appeared to her. And Jesus said, go tell the other disciples that I have to go to my father and I will meet them. So Mary goes. So we're going to pick up right there the same day that Mary had seen Jesus. And there was nobody in the tomb. It's that same day. John 20, verse 19 says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Right? Okay, so already these men are at odds with the Jewish leaders, and now the body was gone. Okay, yeah, they're going to be behind locked doors a little freaked out, right? I know I would be. Then it says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He just came and stood among them. He didn't walk in the door. They were locked. The doors were locked. 
He didn't come knocking. He just appeared. Can you imagine? I can't even fathom what that would be like. To all of a sudden, you saw your Lord crucify and put in a tomb, and now he's standing before you. Whew. That would be something really powerful. Verse 20 says, After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And wouldn't you be? right? Overjoyed. And I believe that he showed them his hands and his side so they would know it's really me. I am really Jesus. I have come back. Verse 24 says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now we don't know where, Je- we don't know where Thomas was, Okay, there's no indication. Maybe he was out getting food for everybody, right? Maybe he was just running late. I know other people like myself who run late quite often. In fact, my kids call it Jolene time, right? So maybe he was running late. Maybe he had a family emergency. We don't know why Thomas wasn't there, but we know that he wasn't. We know that he missed out. The disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Have you ever been excited to be the first one to tell somebody something? Okay, so in in October, my daughter um, got engaged. And so her fiancé called and talked to me, and then he actually talked to my parents and to her dad, and, you know, a lot. he even called and talked to my other ch- kids. One was in Italy, the two were at home, and he called and talked to them. And so, like, everybody was n- knew what was... Actually, he did not talk to my parents. Hold on a sec. He didn't talk to my parents. That's the point of my story, so let me tell you. So we had to make a plan, because I said... Can we not tell my parents? Because I want my daughter Faith to have someone to tell. We actually had to make a plan for them not to hear the news. Because isn't it true we all want to be the first one? If we saw something happen, or we were there, or even if we were the ones that saw the accident, or there's a big fire in Helena, right? Doesn't everyone want to go driving to the fire to say, I was there. This is how it really happened, right? Like, we all have that in our minds. So sometimes when we miss out, we get really disappointed. Like, oh, maybe you missed out on, like, the birth of someone. Maybe you missed out on the winning shot in a basketball game. You weren't there. Maybe everybody got to do something fun and you got stuck in traffic or you had to work and you're like, this is not fair. I missed out. So I can imagine that Thomas was like, what is going on? In fact, this is when he says his most famous saying, says, but he, Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. <sighs> I probably feel about the same way. And come on, your friends are telling you that Jesus is alive. Maybe they're just pulling your leg. Maybe they just saw a vision. Do you think Thomas had less faith than these other disciples? I would venture to say no. He didn't have less faith. Any disciple that would not have been there that day would have said, I want to see it for myself. 
because our experience really does make a difference. Think about this. Thomas was with Jesus. He saw him feed 5,000. He saw him heal blind men. He saw him raise the dead. He saw him do all these miracles. And then he saw him arrested and beaten. He saw a crown of thorns put on his head. He saw him whipped and tortured. He saw him put on a cross. He saw him die and be buried. And now he's hearing he's alive. His last experience with Jesus was pretty traumatic. Trauma messes with us. Trauma is real. When we have a traumatic experience, no matter what it was, it changes the way that we think. It changes the way that we see things. When we have experienced or witnessed trauma or suffering, whether it's abuse to ourselves or someone that we love, whether it's financial strain, whether it's watching someone die, whether it's seeing that someone wasn't healed when we prayed, when we are in that place of we've seen that suffering, we can start to question, really? God, are you real? God, is there anything good? Are you good? Do you see what just happened to my loved one? Do you know what happened to me? And we're left with that question of saying, will I choose to believe that my God is good? Or am I going to choose to say, how can a good God allow these things to happen to me? I feel rejected. I don't feel heard. It is always our choice what we do with it. But I will tell you that trauma of any kind influences the way we experience life. It truly does. Whether... Oh, there's so many different kinds of trauma, and you cannot compare trauma. Well, mine is worse than hers. Well, she needs to get over it if she only knew how bad it could really be, right? No, all trauma can influence us in a deep way, and we don't want pat answers. I don't like pat answers, okay? So the pat answer, so Thomas is there, and they're like, we saw the Lord, we saw him, and he's like, trying to be excited, but he's like, wait, unless I see. He didn't want the pat answer that said, oh, Jesus is alive. No, he's like, I want to know for myself. I want to know for myself that God is who he says he is, that, that Jesus is alive. And it's okay to be in the place of saying, I don't want just the right pat answers. I need to know. Because when we know, that is when our faith grows. And I really believe that that is where Thomas was. He's like, hold on a second. Do you know what I gave up, Jesus? I gave up my life, my income, my family to follow you. I risked my life to follow you, and then I missed out? That is not fair. 
I missed out. Do you not love me? Do you not see what I have done? Ever been there? (laughs) I know I have. My, I'm sure he said, my experience of watching Jesus die makes it really hard to believe that what you're saying is true. But do you see what he says in his statement? He says, unless I see. Now to me, that unless is actually hopeful. It means there is a chance that I can have the same experience as you. So when he says, unless I see, he's holding out hope that he can have the same experience, that he can know this Jesus like they have, that they can see him, that it is not the end. He has hope. Now I want to talk about another place where we see Jesus and Thomas interacting. Now, this is in uh, John 14, and Jesus had just washed the disciples' feet. He had just said that one of them was going to betray him. He had just told them that Peter was going to deny him. And now he's telling them, I'm going away, and you can't come with me. Thanks for all the good news, Jesus. Right? Like, oh, good, all the warm feelies now, right? And so in John 14 verse 1, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the place to where I am going. Jesus is giving hope here. Like, I gave you all this bad news, but there's good news coming. And then verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I love that right here, Thomas has the courage to ask the question that everyone's thinking. Can you be more straightforward here because I'm not getting it? Where are you going? How can we be there? How can we get there? And he even is like, I don't know where, but tell me how. Because I want to be wherever you are, Jesus. When he asks, how can we get there? That is saying, there must be a way. I love that Jesus can handle our questions. (laughs) I'm sure thankful because I've asked him a lot. Why? How? When? Where? By what means is this going to happen? God, I don't get it. How am I going to get through this season of my life? What do you want me to do? And we ask these questions. But when Thomas says how, it's a pause. He's like, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? By what means can I get to where you are going? Because that is the most important to me. So first we see that unless is hopeful. Now how is hopeful. Okay, because if he's asking how can I do it, that means there's a way. It's kind of like in a science experiment, right? 
Like we ask the question, how does this happen? Or how can we make this happen? Because we believe there must be an answer. And it is because Thomas is brave enough to step out and say, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way, that we get the most foundational statement of our faith out of the mouth of Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas's honest question gets Jesus's best answer. It truly does. Jesus is saying, the way to find your way is to follow the way. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? The way that you're going to know which way to go is to follow the way. And he's saying, I am that way. Keep your eyes on me. Don't let the world distract you. Don't let your circumstances determine what you believe. Keep your eyes on me. Oh, what a powerful statement. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And really, this is how he answers Thomas's question. Thomas's question was, where, we don't know where you're going. So Jesus says, I'm going to the Father. And then he says, we don't know how to get there by following the way. We're going to go to the last place that we see Thomas mentioned, which is actually, I'm kind of doing this in reverse order right? We went from John 20 to John 14, and now we're going to go even back further to John 11. And this is the first time that Thomas is mentioned besides being a list of disciples, okay? So Jesus was with his disciples, and he got news that Lazarus had died. Lazarus was his friend, and he got this news that Thomas had died. John 11 verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Wait a second. He just heard that Lazarus was sick and died, and he just stayed where he was. Oh boy, do you ever wonder about God's timing? Wait, God, I asked, and I need an answer now, and you're waiting two more days? This is not very cool. But Jesus said, this is going to end in glory to my Father. And that is where the power lies. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, the disciples have something to say about this. In verse 8, it says, But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Do you ever feel the need to remind God of things? But Jesus, don't you remember how they treated me? Don't you remember how this, this situation happened? Don't you remember that... 
I really listen to you, so you should listen to me. <laughs> Don't you remember? <laughs> so the, the disciples are like, Jesus, what are you doing? This is dangerous. Are you sure you want to go back? Let's go to verse 11. Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better. Jesus had been, okay, I can imagine Jesus is like, oh, gosh, you guys. Jesus had been speaking about his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Can I just put it out there plain for you? And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let's go also, that we may die with him. Oh, now that's a brave move, isn't it? Thomas knows that there could be danger. Thomas knows that indeed Jesus could be stoned. He could be killed. And they might all be killed with him. But he's brave enough to dare to believe that what Jesus said is actually true. What a brave move. Thomas is taking a risk that maybe Jesus is telling the truth. And that Lazarus has only fallen asleep. And it will be for God's glory. We see Thomas is very brave, actually. And so far we've seen him as being very hopeful, haven't we? He's filled with hope. And he's honest. Sometimes I think that maybe Thomas should get a new nickname. It should be Honest Thomas or something that's not so negative. Because think about it, that one statement where he says, unless I see, I'm not going to believe that doubt. But then we have this statement that he's like, let's go. Why doesn't that one statement of his bravery define him? How often do we define ourselves or define someone else and put a label on them because of one thing they say, one thing they do, and there's usually more to the story, isn't there? So let's go back to John, back to John, where Thomas had just said, his most famous statement. Let's read it again. He said, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse 26 says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Wait a second. It's one week later. All the other disciples had seen Jesus. And one week later, where is Thomas? Is Thomas sulking? Is Thomas, oh, woe is me. I must not be loved because Jesus didn't do it for me like he did it for someone else. Is Thomas saying, I'm angry at God because I missed out. What is Thomas doing one week later? Maybe he could have been doubting God's existence, Oh, God isn't, God couldn't possibly be real because I wasn't there. Because I saw him die. It could have been all about me for Thomas. But what I love, one week later, 
where was Thomas? It says, one week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Thomas did not give up meeting with the people who had faith like him. He positioned himself in a place ready to receive. He positioned himself in a place of worship and prayer when he could very well have said, nope, I'm not doing it. God disappointed me. God rejected me. Everyone else got to do it. He positioned himself in a place with everyone else. He was still with the group, and his faith remained strong. Because what we do after our unless, God, I don't know what I'm going to do unless you come through for me. What we do after we say our unless and we're in our doubt is vital to what we will see and what we will do next. What we do after our unless makes a huge difference. When we are in our questions and we're in our doubts and we're wondering how we're going to make it through, what we do next will determine our outcome. Will we position ourselves in a place of rejection and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness? Or will we position ourselves in a place of saying, God, I don't understand, but blessed be your name. When I'm in the wilderness, blessed be your name when I'm on the mountaintop. What we do after our unless makes a huge difference. Thomas had every reason to doubt and be angry. He had a pretty good reason for it. But I bet he remembered when Jesus said that famous statement. When Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas had asked Jesus, how can I go where you're going? And then Thomas decided to believe it, even when it was hard. Even when he doubted, he was saying, okay, I don't understand, but I'm going to step out, and I'm going to worship, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be with the peop other people who are doing the same thing. So Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Verse 27, then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Oh, maybe Jesus came back just for Thomas. Because he wanted Thomas to know, I love you. I see you. If Thomas would not have positioned himself in a place of being able to hear from Jesus, would he have missed out? What we do after our unless is vital to what we will see. Jesus met Thomas right where he was. 
He even used his own words, right? Thomas had said, unless I see his hands, unless I put his hand, my hand in his side. And Jesus comes back saying those exact same words. Okay, here you are. I'm here for you. And Thomas in verse 28 says, my Lord and my God. It was in that moment that he continued his declaration of saying, you are my Lord, you are my God. Thomas shows us that what a true disciple does. A true disciple learns and follows Jesus through the valleys, through the deserts, through the storms, and he trusts the teacher that if I say I'm the way and the truth and the life, that's who I really am. Thomas held to the words of Jesus, even when it seemed hard. So my question for us today is what are we going to do when, when we are in the moments of doubt, when life seems to crumble, when we're not getting the answers that we want? Maybe in your personal life, you've got like, God, I need you. I need to know that you are real. I need to know that you hear me. I feel devastated. I need something to change. That diagnosis was devastating. How am I going to go on? My grief is more than I can bear. I don't know how I am going to do it. You're right, you don't know how, but you know the one who does. And when we say how, we're hopeful that God is going to answer us. So what can we learn from Thomas in the midst of our unlesses, in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our fears, when we feel like everything's coming down? One of the first things we can learn is that sometimes things don't look as we expect. The Jews were expecting Jesus to look one way, and many of them missed out on believing in the Messiah because he didn't come how they wanted him to or what they expected. Jesus came humble, and he came ready to give his life for them. Another thing that we can learn from Thomas is that we need to be careful about our labels. And I'm not just talking about labeling other people. Have you ever labeled yourself? That's just the way I am. I'm, uh, that's just the way I am. I struggle with this. That's just the way I am. I, get, I have a short fuse. That's just the way I am. I... I always do it this way. That's just the way I am. I'm a people pleaser. That's just the way I am. (laughs) But you know what? There is more for us. When we say, okay, God, I'm not going to let my label that I've put on myself or the label I've put on someone else determine the whole story because there will be more to the story. The other thing that we can learn from Thomas 
is the place that we position ourselves in the waiting determines what we see. Because whatever we are looking for, if we are looking for God to be unfaithful, if we're looking for all the ways that God has let us down, all the ways that we have been hurt, all the ways that someone has disappointed me, that is all I will see. But if I choose to look for the goodness of God, if I choose to look for that which I have to be thankful for, if I choose to look for God's blessings and choose to look for God's faithfulness, that is what I will see. So if you here today are in a place of waiting, for something for your marriage, for a something like a healing. You're waiting for our culture to change. Maybe you're waiting for just to hear from God for direction. What will your place of waiting be? How will you wait? You know, we can miss God in our waiting if we have our own agenda. I know that happens to me. I'm waiting, but God, you should do it my way. Because <laughs> it would be, I, I really do have this figured out, God. So if you'll just kind of, you know, just bless me in this. It's, it's all going to work out if, I have, if you go with my agenda. Or we might miss God if we're angry. Or we have unforgiveness in our hearts. Or maybe we'll miss God if it's always been this way. If we do things because they've always been this way, we might miss the new thing that God has for us. Because our position matters when we're in the waiting. And I want to tell you that you are not forgotten. Even in the waiting, God has not forgotten you. He sees you, he hears you, and he has a plan just for you. Position yourself to hear what God has to say. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can learn from these people that have gone before us. Thank you for Thomas and that we are able to see him as more than just his label. And Lord, I pray for each person here who may be in a season of waiting for their own life, for their family, for their job, for something in their church, whatever it is. Lord, that they will know your truth and that even when disappointments come, even when heartache comes, that they can say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I am going to hold on to hope that that is where my focus will be. Lord, I thank you that you are ever faithful and that you meet each person here right where they are. We don't have to have arrived a perfection for you to come and to speak to us. For you to come and show us that we're loved, that we matter. 
Help us to have the courage to position ourselves in a place to receive your word, your direction, your truth about who we are. In your precious name.